SB Nation and Underdog Dynasty present the Underdog Podcast. All right, welcome to another episode of the, uh, I guess, Sunbelt <laughs> on, uh, on Underdog Dynasty as we're talking about Marshall football today. Uh, we were very fortunate to have a guest for this round, Eric and Mr. Grant Trailer, And we didn't really get into it too much when we actually talked to him, but he mentioned right before we started recording with him that he got promoted. So congratulations to him. Uh, he's now the sports director for Herald Dispatch Media uh, down there in Huntington, West Virginia. And you can find his work talking about uh, the Marshall Thundering Herd in the Herald Dispatch and occasionally the West Virginia, uh, or rather the Charleston Gazette Mail in uh, Charleston, West Virginia. But always good to talk to Grant and happy that he took some time to talk to us out of his busy schedule. He was literally like stepped out into his car during a softball game. Again, always appreciate when busy people take the time to chat with us. Listen, I got to take 30 seconds, give a shout out to Grant here, one of the greatest guys in the now Sunbelt sphere no longer cusa sphere and of course he got the promotion well deserved to being the sports director up there in huntington cannot thank him enough for his hospitality when i covered the fiu marshall game last year i mean you know great first off joe and i think i said this on the pod everyone was really hospitable in huntington that's not to say i'm not saying this if like it was some surprise that people wouldn't be but you know you just don't know what to expect and outside of that little incident that i think i mentioned uh but you know when um someone accidentally walked into my room at 3 a.m that trip was phenomenal and Grant, you know, even though I ended up being there for an extra day, Grant hooked me up with the uh, with a, a media credential to go check out the uh, basketball game over there. So, I mean, like I said, great dude, people hunting great. So for our Sunbelt audience, as uh, I think this is our first, this is our Joe, we've done four years worth of Conference USA podcast. And this is our maiden voyage as the host of the Sunbelt podcast for your Sunbelt listeners. Uh, this won't be permanent. So you will not be stuck with us for the time being. But again, shout out to Grant. Great dude. Um, really appreciate it. We'll miss him around the beat, but I'm sure we will catch up along the way. And uh, let's also give a shout out for our Sunbelt audience to Luke Creasy. Uh, Luke is now the Marshall Beat writer for the Herald Dispatch and HD Media. So keep an eye out for him. You can find him on Twitter at Luke, L-U-K-E, Creasy, C-R-E-A-S-Y. So if you're looking to keep on the herd, there you go. Yeah, I'm sure we'll get Luke in here to uh, talk about Marshall soon enough, uh, hopefully. But, you know, it's interesting when you talk about the Huntington uh, hospitality, the first thing that now comes to my mind is someone knocking on your door at three in the morning trying to find out where the party's at. Again, if it was a knock, that's one thing. Like, I'm good with that. I mean, I live in Florida. I live in South Florida. (laughs) That I've dealt with on a daily basis or seemingly daily basis. But it was the fact that someone entered the room at 3 a.m. is what got you a little unnerved. And Joe, the the reaction on Twitter, while people were sympathetic to my plight, there was a, a heavy reaction, Joe, that said, well, why didn't you put the deadbolt on? I said, well, I didn't know I was at fault for this. I thought I was good. But apologies. I Now I know. I will never make that mistake again. Like, even if, like, I'm not expecting anybody, just my front door of my house or my hotel room or whatever is always deadbolted and locked. Like... Not taking any chances. DoorDash, uh, leave it on the front porch. Walk away. <laughs> Before we get derailed, I know we had a couple of things we got to talk about because I, you know me, I can easily take us in a different direction. And I, a thought crossed my mind, but I will not. I will not subject the Sunbelt listeners to the things that our Conference USA listeners are subjected to on a weekly basis. Which, speaking of Sunbelt, if you haven't listened to it already, go ahead and check out our interview with uh, head coach Will Hall of the Southern Miss Golden Eagles. I guess technically that was our first Sunbelt voyage 
sure. that that was kind of a happy accident the way that worked out and uh an emphasis on happy what a what a great guy coach hall is hopefully we get to talk to him again soon um but for now uh without further ado let's uh let's jump into our conversation with uh mr grant trailer on the uh, marshall thundering herd football program all right grant appreciate you having the time uh let's let's jump into some spring storylines for marshall football here um you know i guess for for you guys uh i know you wrote a little bit about Corey mccoy's transfer to to marshall and uh andre sam's coming in there so uh what are what are kind of the main benefits they bring to that marshall secondary well when you look at, at the success that Corey mccoy had last year coming from mcnee state um, you know, Lance Gidry, Marshall's defensive coordinator, had been the head coach at McNeese State uh, when those guys were recruited. Obviously, Corey McCoy, had, he was the defensive MVP for Marshall last year and, and exhausted his eligibility. But they bring in Andre Sam. He's another guy uh, very similar in stature, very similar in mold, and obviously similar in, uh, similar in skill set as well. So Gidry said, hey, this worked once. Let's try and catch lightning in a bottle twice. And he brings in another safety from uh, McNeese State that he recruited that's comfortable with his system and and I expect Andre Sam to step in uh, quickly and and sort of take on that role that uh, that Corey McCoy did so um, safety is one of the biggest needs especially defensively for Marshall um, they graduated three uh, six-year safeties including McCoy so uh, Brandon Drayton Nazi Johnson and McCoy are all gone uh, they're bringing in some new pieces there they also have a grad transfer from Austin P so um, definitely a position of interest uh, this year in spring, and and we'll be uh, definitely interested to see that next Friday whenever or uh, next Saturday whenever the team lines up for their spring game. Obviously, the other big uh, departure this offseason that got talked about plenty was Grant Wells heading to uh, Virginia Tech. Uh, what have you noticed about the the guys left in that quarterback room and and how they're preparing for the 2022 season? It, it's really interesting because Marshall has signed grad transfer. Uh, or has not signed yet. I'm sorry, he has committed Henry Columbia, who is a, uh, a you know a, a Texas Tech transfer, has competed in some Big 12 action over the last two years, was a part-time starter for Texas Tech, and uh, he's expected to come in in late May, early June for the herd, and, and really take the reins for this season. But what you've got with Grant Wells leaving is you've got one guy in Cam Fancher who was a third-team quarterback last year that recorded a handful, and by handful, I mean 25 to 30 meaningful reps uh, last year during the 2021 season, and you're going to be trying to utilize him as the veteran of the group in the spring. So uh, it's really been a wide-open opportunity for Cam Fancher, uh, for young guys such as Chase Harrison and Peter Zamora, uh, some guys that graduated high school early that came into spring ball and, and graduated early specifically to get a jump on spring ball. So it's really been, you know, day by day, who is seeing the best reps. And there's a kid named Kate Cunningham that's in the mix, too, that was here last year as a walk-on that's, that's really taking the number two reps right now as Harrison and Zamora get the uh, get the experience needed. But I still fully expect uh, that when Henry Columbia comes in, then he will be a guy that, that does step into that number one role and, and competes with Cam Fancher for the starting job. Yeah, is there any part of you that is – I guess curious to see how Columbia performs in that role when Marshall has a, a much more, you know, balanced offense in terms of the run versus pass play calling. When you look at, you know, Heck, who is obviously one of those programs that throws the ball, you know, could would throw every play if they could, seemingly. 
Yeah, it's it's going to be interesting just because Marshall is going to have to have a different look this year because they graduated so many six-year offensive linemen, veteran offensive linemen. I mean, they lose basically their entire left side is gone with Will Ulmer and Alex Millette also gone. Alex Salguero is also gone. And so, like, you're really looking to revamp the offensive line, which is honestly a bigger question mark than the quarterback spot right now. So, um, you know, getting the gaps for Rasheen Ali and, and trying to, you know, get get things to where he can find open space, is that going to be more as a receiver out of the backfield or are they going to try to, you know, open up some jet sweeps? Or what, what exactly is going to be the process to get him the ball and, and find holes for him? So, um, it will be very interesting. Obviously, Rasheen Ali was the third, uh, I think, third uh, best pass catcher for the herd last year. He caught a ton of balls out of the backfield, I think 47 in that range. And so, you know, look for them to do that again and, and really uh, space out the offense. I think it's going to take on a little bit more of a pass-happy feel in 2022. You've obviously, you know, spent more time talking directly to, to Coach Charles Houghton than we have. Um, has he offered any insight on kind of the double-edged sword that comes with you know, Marshall's success in developing offensive line talent as of late, you know, obviously they produce tons of high quality players, but you know, um, it, you have to replace them very quickly when they, you know, earn these power five opportunities or the chance to go pro. Right. And, and especially with the transfer portal, I mean, it's going to get to the point where, and this isn't just Marshall, this is a lot of, of group of five football, no matter what conference he was a Sunbelt, whatever it may be, you're going to be looking at, you know, situations in which, yeah, you recruit a guy for four years, but basically it's going to come into a situation which you're going to look at it with a two-year approach. You're either in two years going to be losing a guy because of his quality or you're going to be looking to recruit over top of a guy. So the approach is going to be completely different in recruiting in years moving forward for group of five football. And that's just, that's just reality. And, and, you know, Charles Huff having been at a power five school and such a successful one at Alabama in his two years before he came to Marshall, he very well understands, you know, what Marshall shortcomings are in terms of budget and, and the opportunities that guys might have to move to that next level and what they're looking for. So, you know, that, that is the interesting thing with approach is you've got to be realistic. You can't think all the time like, Oh, well, this is the best program. Why would a guy want to leave? You've got to be realistic and say, Hey, if they can get more exposure, more NIL money, more, you know, cost of attendance money, all these things that have happened in the last five years in college football, they're going to move on. So it's definitely an interesting process, but one that Charles Huff is, is very in tune with. Yeah, that's that's good to hear on, on Coach Huff's part. We, we spoke with uh, Southern Miss head coach Will Hall the other day, and, and he had some similar thoughts in regards to being an attractive destination for just the best talent, regardless of, you know, if they view your school as a springboard to a, a P5 opportunity or not. When it comes to, to Coach Huff, what do you think the changes are, if any, that uh, he's going to make in his style uh, approaching his second year versus his first with Marshall? Well, like I said, I think it's going to become more of an open offense. Last year, you know, he inherited uh, he inherited a team that was recruited to play a different style than what he wanted to play. Um, you know, Grant Wells, uh, what Grant Wells was recruited for and what Grant Wells was asked to do last year. Um, you know, Charles Huff felt like he did a, a good job of, of sort of uh, merging that together. The, the skill sets that he had with the guys that were 
uh, inherited plus what he was wanting to do. But now, especially with Clint Trickett coming in as offensive coordinator, Tim Cramsey has moved on to Memphis. Uh, I, I fully expect that this will take on a much more Charles Huff feel and they will really start to dig into the style that he wants to play, which very well could be, you know, 45, 50 passes a game and, um, you know, some scrambles, some some quick, you know, quick routes as far as the receivers getting the ball out quickly and, and moving the ball with more tempo as opposed to last year when, you know, you have veteran offensive linemen in 2021. You have a, a solid, if not stellar, running back in Rasheen Ali that proved to be one of the nation's best. And they sort of had to ride that horse to success and adapt what they wanted to do. That's not going to be the case as much this year, and they can open it up a little bit. Uh, going back to his, his playing days, offenses where Clint Trickett is involved, they're never boring, I'll tell you that. Um, but, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, even going back to last chance you and, and all that, but, you know, I, I digress. When it comes to, you know, the the defense, uh, Marshall's defensive line last year was fantastic. Do you think they're going to be able to get back to that point in 2022? They're, they're In my opinion, they're going to be better. And that's, that, that is going to be the strength of this team. You look at that defensive line last year, and it was really good defensive ends and a strong enough interior. Well, now they've gone out and they've gotten three power five interior defensive line transfers. Anthony Watts from Purdue, um, Isaiah Gibson from Kentucky, and Quentin Williams from Miami. And with those three guys on the interior, along with the talent that they had on the outside, and they, they went six defensive ends, even seven at times deep last year in a rotation to stay fresh into the fourth quarter. That is going to be the strongest position on Marshall's football team, and I don't think it's close. Gotcha. Last question before I pass the baton over to, to Eric Henry here. In regards to, you know, Marshall's switch from Conference USA to the Sun Belt this year, uh, obviously it came out a few weeks ago that uh, they obviously are going to be able to, to make that jump in 2022 as opposed to 2023. Any additional insight on the, you know, legal divorce between uh, Marshall and, you know, Conference USA uh, in, in terms of the financial settlement there? The the settlement numbers, what we've been told, nothing was released, and, and those uh, requests for information have not yet come back. I anticipate those soon. But what I have been told is that the three schools that exited all have to pay the same amount. So there's not different amounts for Marshall as opposed to Southern Miss and Old Dominion, and that the figures that uh, the Conference USA and those three schools worked out would all be similar and uh, there, there were measures taking place to ensure that, you know, all three would pay in a timely fashion and, and measures were taken if anybody got in default as well. But uh, in terms of the, the actual financial numbers, I had been told in the vicinity of $2 million, but that was about as close to a number as what they had, they had given. I, I do believe it's going to be slightly less than that. $2 million. That's a nice payday for the conference, I guess. Yeah, that, that's a nice little springboard for the uh, – you know, for the future and for what's coming in and, and to help bolster them going forward too. So it was, a, it was definitely, uh, you know, something that it seemed like as time went on, both sides wanted to get done. So as not to, you know, the, the people that were getting kind of held up in all the thing were CUSA's members that were going to stay. It kept them in limbo, which wasn't fair to them. So I do believe once CUSA realized that, then, then it was in best interest for everybody to just move forward and get it knocked out. That way scheduling could finalize. Grant, I want to pick things up with you right there in terms of the Sun Belt and just ask, 
what's the feeling around Huntington? You know, we've definitely seen some chatter around, you know, definitely Southern Miss and ODU seem to be very excited about the the opportunity really to, to leave Conference USA and get into the Sun Belt. So what's the feeling around Huntington? Is there more optimism in terms of, hey, you know, maybe this is a league that we're, we, uh, A, quote unquote, a better league football-wise and B, a league that we should be in? Or is it still a little bit, um you know, kind of touch and go? Well, when you look at it, the the vast majority are extremely excited about the move. You look at the quality of the Sunbelt East Division, which Marshall will be a part of, and, you know, you, you get to keep the rivalry with Old Dominion uh, that's been built in CUSA over the last few years. Plus, you're looking at, um, you know, App State, which is a, a longstanding rival through the Southern Conference, the 1AA days back when I was a kid, back in the late 80s, early 90s. Um, and then you look at some of the other teams, the, the Coastal Carolinas, the Georgia Southerns, which Marshall also had a history with from the 1AA days. Uh, you're adding a Georgia State that's building their program, kind of a younger program, but uh, building it very well. And then on the other side, you've got Louisiana, which they became familiar with last year in the New Orleans Bowl. So uh, a lot of excitement there. Um, and the one thing is, you know, there's a lot of regional competition within that league, whereas one of CUSA's downfalls has always been the, the spread out nature of the league. It's, it's a difficult league to build rivalries simply because you're traveling from Texas to Norfolk, Virginia to Miami, you know, and it's, it's a tough league to, to sort of build interest in. And with the Sun Belt, with the, the strength that I mentioned of those teams, I mean, you know, three of those teams I've mentioned have been uh, top 25 teams in the last three or four years obviously adding a Marshall footprint to that with the national following that Marshall has built through We Are Marshall and things like that over the early 2000s. Um, there, there's definitely a, a national brand there. The Sunbelt is very interested in building that national brand and using Marshall to do so. And, and the feel of Keith Gill, the Sunbelt commissioner, is that whenever it comes time for uh, playoff ex- uh, college football playoff expansion, the Sunbelt East Division in itself, let alone the Sunbelt Conference as a whole, uh, will be very attractive in, in trying to expand that and make sure that uh, the group of five gets its slice of the pie as well. Going to come back to the herd on the field in a second, but you know, obviously I've got a chance to know you pretty well over the years covering Marshall and uh, CUSA. How much is Grant Trailer going to miss the trips to FIU and FAU, Boca and Miami? <laughs> oh, I mean, you know, that that's the worst aspect of all of it, but like I was mentioning to you a little bit before, you know, with, with me transitioning roles, I'm not going to be able to take any road trips anymore. So it's not like I get to go to New Orleans and, in, uh, you know, in its place or anything like that. I'm going to be back at the desk. And I guess that's the newest sign that I'm getting a little bit older is, uh, you know, I'll, I'll be at the, I'll be back at the office trying to make sure that everything goes, but yeah, you know, it's been great in CUSA and especially the trips. I mean, there's some great destinations within CUSA, which, you know, I'm going to miss personally, and I know a lot of Marshall fans are going to miss no, no more so than that, uh, that FAU and FIU trip, you know, whether you're going to Boca or whether you're going to Miami and from Huntington, you could fly into Fort Lauderdale and it was an easy trip. And so, you know, it, it's definitely one that uh, the fans are, are going to miss. And I would like to see the schools sort of, you know, talk about uh, a non-conference relationship in the future, simply because, that's a trip that, you know, obviously Marshall fans love. I don't know how many FIU fans would like to come to Huntington. That time of year, the weather is awful, and I understand that. But I do know that there's definitely some interest on the uh, Marshall side of things. 
I will quickly say this. A, it is another beautiful day down here in South Florida. B, uh, on a personal note, I enjoyed my, my trip to Huntington. So, you know, very uh, people who have not made the trip, whether that's our Sunbelt listeners or CSA listeners, uh, Huntington, very hospitable. So i got to put them over, uh, state that for the record. But back with the, uh, the herd on the field here, Grant, you said something during your, your portion with Joe I thought was interesting. Uh, and talking about the transition in terms of, you know, first-year coach and Charles Huff and what he's looking to do, the the three-game losing streak, you know, the featured uh, loss to ECU, App State, and Middle Tennessee by a combined nine points, but nevertheless three losses. Do you think those losses were a byproduct of just growing pains and getting adjusted to what Charles Huff was looking to do? I honestly don't. I just think they were a product of execution. You know, you look at the fourth quarter of those games, and if I'm not mistaken uh, – all but Middle Tennessee. Middle Tennessee was kind of an inverse where Marshall struggled for three quarters and then turned it on in the fourth in an absolute downpour in Murfreesboro. But ECU, Marshall led by 17 with eight minutes to go. That's a game you should finish, especially at home. App State on the road, you're up nine with 10 minutes to go in the fourth quarter. That's a tough venue and a top 25 caliber team. And arguably, that was Marshall's best game of the year, in my opinion. Uh, they they were, you know, toe-to-toe with App State in that game, uh, you know, had had some terrific execution. When it came down to the fourth quarter, they lost that game. And that's the next step for this team, especially with, you know, with what Charles Huff does, he's not going to go up tempo for three quarters and then slow it way down in the fourth. You've got to be able to execute in that fourth quarter as well when the pressure's on. And Marshall failed to do that. And with the style of play that he likes to run, that led to extra possession opportunities once the execution wasn't there. So uh, Marshall, no matter who's under center, it's going to be a a player that's got to be able to execute under pressure in the fourth quarter and deliver. And again, you saw that later on in the year against uh, Louisiana in the bowl game. Marshall leading going into the fourth quarter, Louisiana turns up the heat defensively. Marshall sort of crumbles offensively. And Louisiana outscores them 21 to nothing in the fourth quarter to win that game in what looked like a laugher, but Marshall was winning against a nationally ranked team going into the final period. No matter who's in the center for Marshall, certainly a big part of that offense is going to be all six foot four, 220 pounds of Corey Gamage. How good is he? Uh, he is Anquan Bolden. Uh, that's, that's the best way I know how to put it. When you look at Anquan Bolden and you watch his style of play, his twitch is terrific. Uh, but he used his body well, whether it was using his speed to and his shiftiness to evade linebackers and safeties or whether just using his big-bodied frame to shield off cornerbacks. That is what Corey Gamage can do. And one thing that he's really excelled at, especially last year, was using his body to separate from cornerbacks on go routes, on the vertical routes that, that Marshall incorporated. So, You know, he could bring a defender into his shoulders and then just by sheer strength alone, use his body to shield out a a smaller defender. So that's one thing that that I feel like Marshall is going to really incorporate. And they've got another grad transfer uh, named uh, Brian Robinson from Florida State that I feel like he's another guy that could work into that mix. And uh, another guy that that we have really seen, his body looks completely different is Jaden Harrison, who is more of a a slot guy transfer from Vanderbilt last year was about 5'11", 180, 185 last year. Now he's 5'11", 200, and he looks like the chiseled type of body that can also do the same thing and use his strength along with his speed. So uh, Corey Gamage, though, you know, when you look at NFL prospects, it starts with Corey Gamage because he's got the size that, you know, 6'3", 
six four, and I know that you mentioned two twenty, but that kid's closer at two thirty, two thirty five. Got a couple more, and we'll get you out of here. Appreciate you taking a moment from covering the softball game to jump on with us here. Uh, on the defensive side of the ball, you know, you, Joe talked about defensive line, but I feel like I'd be remiss if I didn't mention Stephen Gilmore. So is it fair to say, you know, obviously it's certainly a litany of, of players or Abraham Bo playing and playing and others, but uh, how good is Stephen Gilmore? Is he kind of the standout on that defense from your perspective? Absolutely. And, and Gilmore is a guy that, you know, just like all cornerbacks do, they go through some slumps they're on an island there's going to be games where things don't go their way and and they're a a tick of a second off in the secondary especially out on the corner you know that's all the difference in a completion and a pass breakup or interception and you know he went through some of those pains at the end of uh, 2020 um, especially in the CUSA championship game uh, fought his way back in 2021 and really had a, a very very good year last year but also went through some of the some of the same last year. So, you know, from a consistency factor, Gilmore, that's where he's really got to to enhance his game. Obviously, he's going to be uh, a guy. He's a senior, and there's not a ton of seniors on this team. So, he's going to be a guy that really has to step up into the fold for Marshall this year and become a leader in that secondary and really help out a, a unit that is going to have young safeties on the back end too. So there's going to be a lot more on the cornerbacks, him and Josh Bowers, to, to really step up their games as leaders and as guys that have been in the mix for a long time. Last one here for you, Grant. And as we've had you on the past few years, obviously you've been uh, part of our Conference USA podcast with the herd moving to the Sun Belt. You know, we're going to make this a special Sun Belt episode. So I want to ask you this, you know, for the Sun Belt listenership that we have, can you just, you know, give your recommendations to Huntington? People coming to town, obviously I had the chance to visit last year, you know, but, you know, things to get into, eats uh, for the Sun Belt audience who are making the trip to Huntington for the first time coming up. Uh, what can they expect? Well, obviously, the one of the staples around here is Fat Patties. That's right across from Marshall Stadium. Um, has been uh, featured on on several burger shows. I, I don't remember the the exact name of the shows on A and E, but uh, nationally renowned restaurant here in town. Uh, love their restaurant. Love their appetizers too. And they have two different happy hours for appetizers, so uh, those fit in nicely with game day atmosphere and walking over to the stadium to enjoy your favorite beverage or beverages or tailgates. So uh, Fat Patties is one place I definitely recommend. If you're looking for a place that's a little less known, the Ale House is about five blocks away from the stadium. Uh, terrific place. Absolutely the best ribs in town, in my opinion. I love it. Uh, another place, Buddy's Barbecue, also within a mile of the stadium. And if you're looking for authentic Italian, we're blessed enough. And, and this is a little bit off the beaten path, about 15 minutes away in a, a little town called Cerrito that's closer to where I grew up. Uh, Cerrito features Rocco's Ristorante, which, uh, you know, they, they've taken their brand national. And you can find that in freezer sections uh, around uh, Walmarts and Kroger's and other uh, other grocers around the East Coast. But uh, the home for it is right here in uh, little old Cerrito, West Virginia, about 15 minutes from Huntington and some of the best authentic uh, Italian food that you'll find in West Virginia. All right. We're back. And uh, once again, thank you to Grant Trailer for his time and his insights into what he's seen from the Marshall football team over the course of the spring here. Uh, if you're not following him on Twitter already, it's just at Grant Trailer, uh, G-R-A-N-T-T-R-A-Y-L-O-R. And then at Herald Dispatch for uh, the Herald Dispatch for all of his Marshall coverage. But 
yeah, you know, fascinating to see what happens with that uh, rejuvenated defensive line that he talked about and, and everything going into what Marshall's building for 2022 here. Yeah, Joe, you mentioned that defensive line. That's certainly a strength of their team. I know I will be keeping an eye on the quarterback situation that Grant talked about and we talked about in our interview with him, Grant Wells, two-year starter, you know, kind of a native of West Virginia there, kind of a hometown guy or a home state guy, I should say. He's with Virginia Tech, and certainly, you know, it could be a situation where you have a new head coach, or at the time, last year, a new head coach in Charles Huff, and as Grant talked about, certainly want to play a different style of football, and maybe it's one that just, you know, it's just a, a difference in in style, so to speak. You know, Tim Cramsey is now at Memphis, so you lose your OC, who's the quarterback, and Henry Columbia coming in from Texas Tech. And what's interesting is Columbia, of course, that air raid is what you think about with Texas Tech, but Columbia actually, and I know this because his former offensive coordinator for two years is now at FIU, David Yost. He's not an air raid guy. You know, that that offense that he ran is is actually a little bit more of an RPO style. Now, it's definitely up-tempo. Uh, anyone who knows anything about the David Yost offense, he's looking to get the ball out of his quarterback's hands fast. But it's not quite the, uh, the Texas Tech, you know, sling it, you know, Cliff Kingsbury type style. So it'll be interesting to see what happens because – I think Coach Huff is looking to put more points on the scoreboard and play a little bit faster. So I'm sure there'll be a hybrid of the two styles and we'll see what happens there. But yeah, you got to think Henry Columbia uh, will be the quarterback and definitely something to keep an eye on for the herd and Sumbo. They've got some weapons, man. I am super excited to see what they're able to do. Uh, they're definitely going to make a run at the East this year, I think. Um, but again, thanks to Grant Trailer. You know, it, Eric, it's funny. One of the last times we talked about, we were talking about the the other side of the moonshine throwdown with uh, Jared McDonald, and uh, we we made some comment about uh, you know folks like mayonnaise, <laughs> and uh, you made the rebuttal that you are not one of those people, and I'm very curious what's what's the negative sentiment on mayonnaise, and where does that come from? It's not necessarily a negative sentiment as, as much as it is there's a certain population of people who tend to overdo the mayonnaise. I will let our okay. listeners, again, you know, new audience, Sunbelt audience, <laughs> uh, decipher uh, what I mean by a specific audience. You know, this is overdo the mayonnaise, right? Like you guys can, you know, bathe in mayonnaise. And I'm, I'm more of a just, you know, just something to here's the thing, Joe. Mayonnaise's only real purpose is to moisten a sandwich. Right. And there are multiple things you can use to moisten a sandwich. Oil, sure. vinegar. I'm a big hummus guy. I don't know if it makes me rather bougie or not, you know, um, but I, I'll t- go with hummus, guac, as opposed to the the mayo, you know, no real redeeming value in the mayo. I'm not opposed to it, but just not in the quantities that, you know, some people tend to like it. Sure. So is does it at least partially come from like a health thing? I know you're, you're a clean eater. No, listen, I cannot deny that it is partially a health thing, right? Like there is in terms of health, there's really no redeeming value to mayo. But again, sure. it's just. I think it's just one of those things that, you know, you, you, you see people slather it on. I'm just like, Ugh. so, yeah, uh, my take. So s- safe to say not really all about the, you know, macaroni salads and potato salads that incorporate mayonnaise so heavily. Well, OK, but here's the thing, though, right? Like, I don't know how deep you want to go into this job, but my family may talk about that. Yeah, it looks OK. See, case in point, Joe. Heavily about the mayonnaise. My family makes macaroni salad and potato salad, but it's not, you don't feel like you're just getting a big glob of mayo, right? Now, when I go to insert store, I don't want to publicly slander a store. And I've sometimes bought their, you know, store made macaroni and cheese, or I'm actually macaroni and cheese, macaroni salad. 
uh, or potato salad. It just feels like I'm just eating a big glob of mayo, you know, like I just like I just ordered, you know, uh, a sandwich from a, a fast food joint. It's just a little bit mayo. So, yeah, that, that's what it is, man. You know, you're definitely not alone in that line of thinking. And, and you know, I think I I'm, I'm, can understand that when people don't overdo it or people that don't like to overdo it with mayonnaise. But it, for me, it just, you know. It works for the reasons that you said it. It adds a little layer of moisture to sandwiches and it it adds a creaminess. But again, you're not alone. Uh, from what we learned in the last couple of days uh, following the USFL with the uh, Pittsburgh Maulers, uh, Devion Smith, former Michigan player. I mean, by now it's all over, you know, every single football outlet at this point, but was cut from the USFL's Pittsburgh Maulers as that league makes its uh, – I guess, triumphant return, or is it a different entity? I'm really unsure. Some some things the USFL, I think, is doing really well. Some things, I think, are odd. Um, but essentially, their, their little reality show that um, they're putting out to kind of bring folks behind the scenes, uh, it's called United by Football in the uh, lead up to week one of the new season. That was a, it was quarter, the, I guess it was it a one-off documentary or is it a series? It is a series in terms of, you know, highlighting the league. So it's more than one episode, yes. Okay. But essentially on this uh, United by Football show, uh, they show a scene in which uh, Smith was cut by the team. And apparently the reason was he didn't like chicken salad, so he opted to bring in his own pizza for a team dinner. And they cut him shortly thereafter, which – Apparently, if you don't like mayonnaise, you don't like mayonnaise. But there's there's a lot of layers to this story. Pittsburgh basically said, like, there's more context. He broke team rules. Uh, Devion Smith has since uh, stated on his Twitter that he was never notified of any team rules that he broke. And there's essentially two different sides saying two different things uh, in terms of the communication between Smith and head coach Kirby Wilson and the team. So, I don't know. We'll probably never know exactly what happened. Um, but I don't know. Devion Smith's USFL career over for now seems to be over. And the reason is refusing to stomach uh, some mayonnaise heavy chicken salad, it would seem. So, Joe, I'm not going to go on a tangent, man. As you said, I think you summed it up best when you said we're never really going to get the full breakdown of what happened here. Right. But we have a 27 year old who spent time with Miami and Washington Orlando Apollos of the old, um, and I can't remember what that league was, the, a, the a, AAF, there we go. Um, Tampa Vipers, you know, was in Canada, British Columbia Lions, and now the Pittsburgh Maulers led the XFL in rushing in 2020. So clearly someone who, and went to College of Michigan, a kid who's trying to get back into the NFL, you know, played a handful of games. It's just, it's disappointing, and I'm going to tell you why. The whole purpose of this league, in my opinion, Joe, is to help dudes get back to the NFL. I hope none of the coaches are under any grand illusion that this whole thing is greater than them helping players get back to the NFL. And in some cases, for some of these coaches to get back in the NFL themselves or get a shot at the NFL. If if Smith was continuously disrespectful, again, we won't know. Uh, I wish that had been stated a little bit more in what we saw, right? And again, as the Pittsburgh statement came out and said that there was some footage apparently we didn't see and some context was left out. But my bigger point, man, is this just feels like from what we saw 
emphasis from what we saw. This is what happens when you have coaches who are so that need for power. And just because you have the power doesn't mean you should do something. And in my mind, Joe, does the punishment fit the crime? Here's my thing. Even if it was just the uh, the pizza, I mean, it certainly doesn't. But if it's continuous disrespect, Joe, and I'm asking you here, I'm, I'm going to end my rant with this. I, I, I can't imagine while nobody should feel entitled to disrespect cafeteria workers or staff, or whatever it is, I can't imagine that you can't sit down with someone. And the reason I let off with Smith's background is this is not like a dude who spent five years in the NFL and is trying to get back and he's got like some big head, like, oh man, I'm way too big for, for this USFL. Mm-hmm. It's a dude who's trying to get back to the NFL. So wouldn't you think he would kind of be on his P's and Q's and someone who's rather, you know, humble. Yeah. There've been some people who uh, worked with Smith in the, um, in the, uh, the Tampa Bay league. Again, I, I, the XFL, I believe that was. Uh, that the Tampa Bay Vipers played in, where they said, hey, he's nothing but a consummate professional. Joe, there's got to be another solution, right? (laughs) Yeah, you would think. I mean, to your point, there's enough people that kind of vouch for his off-field professionalism that it's odd that he ended up in this scenario. And again, the fact that he's had so many stops, it doesn't seem like he's really going to make a scene or risk his chance to get back to the highest level of football over something so trivial. So that's, that's kind of where I'm like, what? And then also Kirby Wilson's kind of presser after the fact where he addressed it and was like, we have a very, very high standard of football here and he didn't meet it. Like, all right, well, first of all, you know, this is <laughs> the US, you know, this first season of this new iteration of the USFL I'm not saying there's not good talent in there, but to say that you're, you know, trying to be the best of the best, like we all know that's not what it is. Um, like this is, and also you got to be able to like roll with the punches in terms of building your brand and uh, actually building an audience when, you know, spring leagues fold so quickly over the course of the last 40 years or however long. So, yeah, I don't think Pittsburgh was justified in, in cutting him. It seems kind of silly. I, you know, granted, I'm not going to say I have like followed training camp of USFL and kind of know where he like fits into the scheme of what they're trying to do. Um, So I don't know what his like role on the team from a talent standpoint would have been. But based on the information that's available to outside observers, it's it's a weird one. It doesn't seem like the the ends justify the means in terms of the action that Pittsburgh took. Yeah, I mean, you know, I kind of said my two cents and I couldn't agree with you more there. You know, again, it's I, I think I think you said it best when you said <laughs> what history of football, you know? So it just mm-hmm. hopefully, you know, Smith can get another shot. And I, I don't know. I mean, like I said, I don't want to come down wholly on Kirby Wills because I understand that if, if he truly believes there's another side, he's do that right, you know? But this just seems trivial in my mind. It, it does. It does. Um, so I don't know, hopefully both sides can kind of move past it. I think, uh, for what we did get out of this as fans is, uh, a, some, uh, free marketing for Pittsburgh pizza places and, uh, B, we got a new kind of social media trend. It seems like the opposing fans of, uh, you know, whatever, or the teams of the fans of the teams that Pittsburgh plays were just spamming their Twitter feed with like slices of pizza and that sort of thing. So that was funny. 
<laughs> yeah and the, yeah i don't know and then i also think it's funny too you know people tweeting at the pittsburgh maulers like i've been a fan of this organization for years <laughs> when they were founded three months ago like i'm taking taking my fanhood to birmingham or michigan or whatever it is i don't know it's i don't know i think honestly like something as bizarre as this it like it's only going to serve to like really help the usfl in terms of media attention and that sort of thing but it's a bummer that it is seemingly coming at uh at at smith's expense which i imagine he's irate about (laughs) i would be too exactly all right for that we'll uh We'll wrap up this time, but uh, thank you all so much for listening to this uh, Sunbelt edition of the Underdog Podcast. If you haven't already as well, go check out our uh, NFL Draft Preview Mega episode that we did with our our good friends Dan Morrison and Emily Van Buskirk uh, talking about our favorite prospects. This should be out before the NFL Draft. Um, But again, thanks to Grant Trailer, and we'll hopefully talk to him again real soon. If you want to follow us on Twitter, at J-O-E-H-I-O underscore, at Eric C. Henry underscore, and then at Underdog Dynasty for more G5 football content every day. Happy football watching, everybody. We'll talk to you soon.